you, music team. Well, if you could remain standing, we've come in John's gospel now to chapter 11, one of Jesus' greatest signs in the entire gospel. And we're going to be in John chapter 11, verses 1 to 46. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you stand that whole time. I'm just going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to read the rest as we go through the text and the message. So hear the word of the Lord for us today. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat, and as you do so, let's go once again to the Lord to ask for his help to understand his word. Father in heaven, We do come here this morning in utter dependence upon you. We ask by the power of your spirit, you would open up our eyes, you would open up our ears that we might hear your voice and we might respond to you. Help your word land on fertile ground this morning. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. Well, I wonder how often you think about death. How often you think about death? If you're like most people, it's probably not very often. Why is that? Well, there there could be a, a number of reasons we don't think about death. One is that we're not confronted with it on a daily basis. Unless you've recently had the loss of a loved one, or if you're in some kind of profession like a funeral home director or medical profession or maybe a pastor you you might be around death more but if you're not it's it's just not you're not confronted with it very often it's also because death is unknown and what is unknown can be scary to us so we don't necessarily want to dwell upon it often but also just us living in the western world today Death is something that is kind of hidden. It's kind of private. So when you think about death, that normally happens in nursing homes and hospitals. And there's not parades going down the street with, like you see in other countries where people are mourning. People mourn more privately here in the West. So it's just not in our face like it is in other parts of the world. But the issue is, is that death is common. It's inevitable. We are all going to die. And so with these two realities in mind that we don't think about death very often, and two, that it's very common and it's all gonna happen to each one of us unless the Lord returns before that happens, oftentimes we're not equipped to deal with death. And in today's passage, one of Jesus' close friends is near the point of death. And in fact, he is going to die. And through this story, the Lord will reveal himself to us as the one who can guide us through the major questions of life and death. 
He is the one who can provide hope in the midst of all of life's challenges. So many of you have not been with us in this series through John. To give you some context in which this story happens, Jesus has been pursued by the Jewish leaders. They want to kill him. This has happened ever since really chapter 5, but even at the end of the last chapter, they took up stones to stone him. And Jesus escaped their grasp. They didn't stone him, but he escaped and he went away, far away, till, to where the text says where John the Baptist first started ministering. We learn in chapter one of John that that was in a town or a place called Bethany across the Jordan. And that's not to be confused with the Bethany in this story that is right by Jerusalem. So Jesus right now is in Bethany across the Jordan, which is probably at least a day's journey away. And he's been called by this family who is mourning the sickness and potential death of their friend and their brother, Lazarus, in the other Bethany, the one that's right by Jerusalem. And so Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, the one who's near death, they sent servants to tell Jesus to tell him the news. And so that's kind of the the background. And as we go through this story, we will see this overarching point emerge in the text, and it's this. There is always hope because of the resurrection. There is always hope because of the resurrection. And since that is the case, that there's always hope because of the resurrection, we must pay attention to three exhortations that come out of the text really flowing from the three main scenes that we see in this story. And these are the three exhortations. First, trust the mystery of the Lord's timing. Trust in the mystery of the Lord's timing. That's the first. Second, behold the Lord's compassion. And then third, believe in the resurrection. Trust in the mystery of the Lord's timing. Behold the Lord's compassion and believe in the resurrection. So let's first think about trusting in the mystery of the Lord's timing. It's so easy, is it not, to question the Lord's timing when things aren't going well in our lives. Somehow we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we know better than the creator of this world, the creator of us, when it comes to the details of our lives. And so we can often scratch our heads and wonder, what is he up to? especially when things in our lives aren't happening according to our preferred schedule. Well, Mary and Martha were in this similar predicament. Their brother getting sick was not in the plan. This was horrible timing in their minds. He was at the point of death. But fortunately, they knew Jesus. Jesus was their friend, and Jesus loved them. And so they sent servants to find Jesus because they knew Jesus had the ability to heal their brother. They had seen it and they had heard about it many times before. And so as those servants reach Jesus, Jesus declares this to them in verse four. He says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now you can imagine the servant's joy in hearing these words. The teacher says that Lazarus is not gonna die. That's probably what they were thinking. They, they wanted to go back to Mary and Martha and say, hey, don't worry. Jesus said this does not lead to death. All is well with the world. Well, as they're going back, uh, 
unless we think that these were just some random people, John wants to insert in verse five that these were close friends. These were people that Jesus loved. That's what he says in verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But what comes next reveals the peculiar timing of the Lord. We see this timing in two ways. The first being in what he does right after he hears this news. And the second with how he interacts with the disciples. So first, let's, let's listen to how, what he does right after he hears this news. Verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Isn't that unusual? The text says it's because that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It was for that reason that he stayed two days longer where he was. It's not the timing that we would expect. And that should alert us to that there must be something deeper going on here. If you've been with us through John's gospel, we've seen that Jesus doesn't work according to our timing. He works according to the Father's timing. He always does the Father's will in his way according to his plan in his time. And we have to remember that in our own lives when we are faced with situations that don't make sense. When we are faced with situations where the timing of the Lord just really perplexes us. We need to trust him and know that he knows what he's doing. Well, the next question regarding the Lord's timing comes with what Jesus says to his disciples. Listen to what happens in verse seven. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Remember, they're not in Judea. They've gone well past uh, into another area in Bethany across the Jordan. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to kill you, to stone you. Are you going there again? His followers loved, they, they loved Jesus. They were trying to protect him. They really questioned the wisdom of Jesus going back to the place where people were trying to kill them. They were there in the temple with Jesus. They saw the stones. They saw the rage in these Jewish leaders' eyes. They know that they're about to kill their master. So they're saying, is that really the best timing, Lord? Is that really what you want to do? Once again, Jesus assures us that he does know what he's doing, in case we forgot. Listen to how he responds to his disciples in verse nine. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. It's kind of like, come again, Jesus. <laughs> Oftentimes, uh, the meaning of what Jesus says and his responses aren't immediately obvious to those around him. And this is one of those cases. He's, he's making a simple lesson here with deep implications. The simple lesson is, if you walk in the day, you can see, and so you're not going to stumble. But if you walk at night, you know, this is before you had nights at light and everything, you stumble if you don't have the light within you. If you're a parent, you know that feeling in the dark when a child is crying and you're going to a room and you step on a toy. And uh, I tell you what, you can really stumble in the dark when you cannot see. 
Jesus is saying, like, when you're in the, in the daytime, you can see. When you're at night, you stumble, just like Eric when he trips over these toys. And so they're questioning the wisdom of what Jesus is doing. But Jesus has a deeper meaning here. He is, remember, what he has said about himself in John's gospel. He said in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He has said he's got to keep doing the works of the Father while it is still day. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is saying that while he's still on earth, he's got to do God's works. And this is one of God's works to go and heal Lazarus. So it doesn't matter if people want to kill him. He is going to keep doing the will of God no matter what, no matter the danger, because as people say now, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. So if the disciples are with Jesus, they have nothing to fear while the day is still there. There is a time when night is coming, Jesus says, when he's going to die and be taken away from them. But this is still the day and he's doing God's will. It doesn't seem like good uh, timing to the disciples, but Jesus wants them to trust in him. He wants the same thing for you and I when his timing does not seem to make sense. Because surely there's things in your life right now where you are questioning the Lord's timing. Why has he not answered in the way I thought? Why is this happening in my life? Well, the disciples are still confused, so Jesus needs to get more specific with them. Let's continue in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, gotta love Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. You see, the disciples didn't realize what Jesus was talking about. They didn't realize that Lazarus was dead. So Jesus explains it to them. But even after he does, Thomas's reaction shows they still don't know really what's happening. They still don't really get what God's plan is. And so if we freeze the story here, think about what we have. We have confusion about the timing of what Jesus is doing. In this moment, what he's doing does not make sense. It's, it's not in the disciples' plans. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't even make sense to us as readers if we haven't read ahead. And that's why we need to listen to the clues that John has been sprinkling throughout about what God is doing. Hopefully we caught that. In verse two, he says that the purpose of Lazarus' illness is so that God might be glorified and that the Son might be glorified through it, Jesus. In verse 15, he says that Lazarus' death is so that his disciples might believe. You see, Jesus has much bigger purposes in mind. Yes, it is important, Lazarus' health, but he has eternal realities in mind, and he has all of eternity in mind when he approaches the situation. And there might be some confusion about the timing of Jesus, but he has a bigger purpose. 
We need to remember this because we're often stuck in this scene throughout our lives, are we not? We're stuck in the scene where we can't see the future. We can't see what God is doing. We are confused about what he's doing in our lives. Why do I have this health issue? Why do I have that relational issue? Wouldn't life be so much better if God just answered in the way I thought he should answer? So often we find ourselves stuck in this scene. We may question his timing, and yet Jesus calls us to trust him. He's shown throughout his gospel that he can be trusted, and he'll continue to show us that he can be trusted. He knows what is best. And I wonder where in your life you need that reminder this morning. Where do you need to be reminded that you can and must trust in the timing of the Lord? Is it a situation at school or at work? Is it a family dynamic issue that you just feel like this is not good timing, Lord? Is it a health issue? There's, there's probably countless. So in these situations, God is calling us to trust in the mystery of his timing. But this kind of trust doesn't come naturally. It's a supernatural work of God. It requires faith in Jesus. And it's empowered by his spirit. So I wonder if today you would take some time to ask the Lord to help you to trust in him with the uncertainties or difficulties of life that you are facing. Well, as we move on to the next scene in the story, as Jesus comes and talks with Mary and Martha, we learn more about what Jesus is like. And with this second exhortation then emerges that we are to behold the truth and the compassion of our Lord Jesus. Jesus has uh, the perfect combination of grace and truth. No one else can have that perfect calibration, only Jesus. We see that in the next section. First, we witness the truth of Jesus, of who he is, and then we'll observe his incredible compassion, the truth with Martha and the compassion with Mary. So he reveals the truth about himself here with Martha, starting in verse 17. He said, it says, uh, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And back then, they didn't have uh, embalming and things. You'd normally get buried the day you died because they didn't do that kind of stuff unless you're in Egypt. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. So the text says, by the time Jesus arrived, he had been dead four days. Lazarus had been dead four days. The scholars love to kind of debate where Jesus was, how long it would have taken him to get there. We don't know all of those details. We don't know if Jesus would have left immediately, if he would have been there while Lazarus was still alive or not. But either way, Martha is grieving. She is grieving for sure, but she still, in her grieving, shows that she trusts in Jesus. You can almost hear the grief and disappointment in her voice, but you can also hear her incredible faith. If you were here, Jesus, my brother wouldn't have died. I, I trust you. And even now, whatever you do, 
I know God will give it to you. Whatever you say to him. She trusts in Jesus. And Jesus replies to her in verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha was like most Jews of that time, except for the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. She believed in a bodily resurrection from the dead at the, at the last day when the Lord would raise up uh, people to live with him forever. She has confidence that her brother will be resurrected on the last day. But Jesus helps her to see that she fully doesn't fully get it. He, he wants her to understand that the resurrection is not an abstract event, but a personal encounter, a personal encounter with him. So he says the following life-giving truths in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who be whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's a great question. It's a great question for Martha. It's a great question for us because right here, Jesus gives the hope of the gospel in two short verses. He is saying that the resurrection, life after death is all about him. He is the one through whom resurrection happens and he is the one who gives life. Jesus is saying that if you believe in him, though your physical body dies, it will be raised you will live again with a new body. He's also saying that if you believe in him, now you have eternal life, and so you will never die, spiritually speaking. You'll never experience spiritual death. And this, once again, hits a keynote that has been playing all throughout John's gospel. It's that our hope in life and death revolves around a person. It revolves around what we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Martha gets it. Look what she says in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha gets it. She believes. She has accomplished what John's purpose in the whole gospel is, is that He's written down all these signs that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Martha gets it. Yes, I believe. In the Greek, it's kind of like, I have believed. Yes, this is what I believe. She has hope. Well, friends, Jesus proved that he is the resurrection and he is the life when he died and rose from the grave three days later. And so if you believe in him, when you die, you will also rise again. That is a promise from Jesus. And when he comes back, you will be given a new resurrection body. That is a hope that you can bank on. It will happen. But the flip side is also true. If you don't believe in Jesus this morning, when you die, you will be raised, but not to life, but to eternal destruction. Jesus has been warning about that all, all of John's gospel. And if you don't believe in Jesus, it means you don't have eternal life. And so therefore, when you die, you will experience eternal death. And so if you don't yet believe in Jesus, if you're here this morning checking out Jesus or checking out uh, babies and dedications, whatever you're here for, 
May today be the day that you put your hope and trust in Jesus. You can have life even today, eternal life even today. But before we move on, I want to speak a word to those who are more uh, mature in their faith, people who have trusted in Christ and have lived uh, out their faith for a while. Those who, like Martha, get it. Because in this story, even Martha, who believed in Jesus, even Martha, who made a great confession before Jesus, even she needs to grow in her faith and understanding of Jesus. We never stop learning about who Jesus is and the majesty of what he has done. We never move past living by faith in Jesus. We don't check the box and say, yeah, I get it. We can get it and trust in Jesus, but he wants to continue to transform us throughout a lifetime. And so today, maybe you need to be reminded that he is going to bring trials in your life. There are gonna be trials that seem way too big for you to handle, because they are. They're too big for you, but they're not too big for you with his empowerment as he leads you through them. Like Martha, you will be tested. Your faith will be tested, but the Lord will be with you. Well, after giving Martha the truth, now Jesus unleashes his compassion as we witness this interaction with Mary. So we're gonna skip down to verse 32 for the sake of time. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Some commentators have mentioned whenever uh, Mary is found in the gospel accounts, she's always at the feet of Jesus, worshiping. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you notice that Mary's words were the same exact words that Martha had? You can imagine they were like around the kitchen table or whatever they did back then, talking for four days. You know, if Jesus would have been here, you know, Lazarus wouldn't have died. They'd they'd been rehearsing it over and over, and now it comes out the exact same words for both of them. They say, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. If only Jesus was here. But Jesus is deeply moved by her grief. Listen to how Jesus responds in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. That word here, deeply moved, has the sense of anger or indignation about something that is wrong in the world. So what is Jesus so angry about? What is he troubled about? Well, his emotions are no doubt in response to those who are hurting, to those who are weeping and wailing. Friends, this should remind us, when you hurt, Jesus feels. He is there with you. He is not a cold, dispassionate savior. He understands what you're going through so much deeper than you could ever imagine. But his righteous anger likely runs much deeper than that. He is angry at sin, which caused death. He is angry at how death affects those whom he loves so much. He is angry at the devil whom the author says has the power over death. And he does something about it. So next, we come to the shortest verse in the English Bible. Kids, if you like memorizing verses and you get like some reward for that, uh, you should do this one. It says John 3, 35. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. 
That Greek word for wept here is not the same word that's used throughout the passage. There's a lot of weeping going on in this passage. It's a different word. This is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. And some scholars think that the sense of this word is that Jesus burst out in tears. He, he burst out in tears. And we need to sit there for a moment. Because this response from Jesus shows us that he is not far off in times of trouble. He's not cold and unfeeling. He cares. He feels. He loves. Oh, how he loves. Oh, how he loves. You might need to be reminded of that today. The people around saw this. They, they said in verse 36, see how he loved him. But amazingly, not everyone was favorable to Jesus, even, even now. Some people were still doubters. They show up in verse 37. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? When it comes to Jesus, we've seen this throughout John's gospel, there's always those who believe and those who doubt and deny him. And, and this is no different. But before we get to the next section, I want us to just reflect for a moment on the compassion of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the perfect God-man. He is fully God, fully man. That means that he embodied exactly how a human being should respond to grief and sorrow and pain. That, the, the perfect example is Jesus. And so we get a picture of that here in this story, that Jesus loves deeply and he is moved by your suffering, by your pain. And his example should teach us that if the Lord can cry, if he can burst out in tears when he sees uh, the death of a loved one, when he is angry at the injustice of this world and the, the, the uh, evil of, of sin and death, then that gives us freedom to cry when we are in pain. That gives us freedom to cry out to God, to express emotion. The, the Lord Jesus has shown us what it is to be truly human in these moments. So we need to behold the truth and compassion of Jesus. Well, now we've come to the final scene in the story, and Jesus is gonna perform a miracle that proves his words are true, and that leads to our final exhortation that's coming out of the text, which is this, to believe the resurrection. Believe in the resurrection. Jesus has done this before. He's performing a sign that reveals a deeper spiritual truth that he wants us to know about him. So if you remember in chapter six, he fed the 5,000. There was just some loaves and some fish, but he fed 5,000, not including women and children. And later he explained that he is the bread of life. And then in chapter nine, he healed the man born blind. And he was showing us that he alone can give spiritual sight, that all of us are in darkness like that man, and he alone can give spiritual sight. And here he's gonna raise a man from the dead to prove that he is the resurrection. So listen to verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, angry, full of indignation, righteous anger, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
So here, once again, we see Jesus deeply moved. We see him angry in a righteous way as he came to the tomb. He's not angry at any person, but he's angry at the curse of death and its hold on the human race. And that is why, friends, he came to earth. He came to earth to do something about our predicament. He came to earth to do something about sin and death and to defeat it once and for all. Jesus never worked without prayer. He's in constant communion with the Father. And he prays aloud right here in verse 41 just so others can kind of get a window and we can get a window into this kind of relationship he has with the Father. So this is what he says in verse 41. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Intercession is like breathing to Jesus. He's always doing it. Paul says in Romans 8 that even now he is interceding for us before the Father. He's in constant communion. He's just showing us how prevalent it is here. And then we get a window into what he was praying for in verse 43. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Powerful words. The man who had died came out and his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. You kind of wonder, like, Lazarus, he's just kind of like, you know, how, how is he walking uh, at that point? But it's a little bit funny. You don't know how that happened. Might have fallen once or twice. But Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Friends, the point is, is that there's limitless power in the voice of Jesus It's the same voice that spoke the world into existence. It's the same voice that can raise the dead. It has power over sin and death. There's nothing more powerful than the voice of Jesus. Well, after seeing this great miracle, again, it's quite amazing. There's mixed reactions. I mean, if you just saw a man raised from the dead, what do you think would be your reaction? But there's mixed reactions. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Sometimes I hear people who don't follow Jesus say things like, well, if God would show me a sign, if he would like write something in the clouds, if he would just like give me a sign, then I would believe. These verses show, well, that's not actually true. That's not actually true. You might even see a man raised from the dead and not believe. The point is is that we all must make a decision about Jesus. Either he's the savior of the world or he's a fraud. You can't stay in the middle with Jesus. So the question is, do you believe in the resurrection? He has given us the greatest sign imaginable. He has died and he has risen from the grave three days later. He proved he had defeated sin and death. Do you believe in the resurrection? Not just do you believe that your body will one day raise, but do you believe in the one who is the resurrection, Jesus Christ? Because belief in Jesus will change your eternal destiny, and that's a glorious truth but it also changes your everyday life. 
Because when you believe in Jesus, the Bible says that you have been raised with Christ. And if you have been raised with Christ, Paul says in Colossians, we are to set our minds on the things above, on eternal things. In Ephesians, he says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within us. That same power is at work within us that raised Jesus from the dead. And so that means when we trust in Jesus, our minds and our actions will change. And then we uh, will be in the process of changing throughout our lives. And so the question, we don't have a lot of time to get into it, the question I would leave you in this section is this, does your life reveal that you believe in the resurrection? Does your life reveal that you believe in Jesus? Because you will be showing resurrection power within your life. You will be full of joy when others would think you should be full of sorrow. You will have hope when others think you should be in despair. That's the power that Jesus gives when we believe in him. Well, as we close, remember that there is always hope because of the resurrection. By raising Lazarus, Jesus was giving us just a glimpse into his power over death and his ability to raise the dead. One day, Jesus will speak again and the dead will come out from the tombs and those of us who believe him will meet him in the air. If you know Christ, you don't need to fear death because Jesus has conquered. I want to close with words from Paul about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And if you know and love Jesus, this is let this just like wash over you as a, as a comfort. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you have sent your son Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life, and that we can have hope no matter what our circumstances are because of the resurrection today. And so, Lord, uh, if we are here this morning questioning your timing, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you in the midst of our trials. For those who don't yet know you, Lord, help them to believe in you for the first time today. Help them to see that the only hope in this world is Jesus Christ. We pray you would do those things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.